Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for anyone in a relationship. I'm Sarah Studeville. And I'm Alex Stonehill. And I'm a therapist, a journalist, a writer, a mom, a wife, a partner. I'm newly out as queer um, and excited for the opportunity to talk a little bit about all of those things. And I am a communications professional in the education field, um, and I specialize in behavioral psychology. Um, I'm also Sarah's husband, uh, and we've been married for about, we've been married for 13 years and together for a long time before that, and we uh, very recently became non-monogamous. Um, and, uh, have been learning together what the heck that means and, uh, what we like about it, what we don't like about it. Um, we have two kids. We live in Seattle. Did you say that already? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So like you said, we're about a year and a half into this experiment and noticing that non-monogamy is everywhere all of a sudden. So, We realized recently that Seattle is one of the epicenters of non-monogamy. The Pacific Northwest is an epicenter of non-monogamy. It's a trend on the rise among younger generations and just generally. And really interestingly, it seems to be a trend coming out of the pandemic. So uh, once we started identifying this and like a lot of our friends were becoming non-monogamous, we were meeting more people who are non-monogamous and talking about it constantly with everyone, people non-monogamous and otherwise, um, and just having really interesting conversations, encountering some pretty interesting and challenging questions from folks, uh, started realizing like, hey, maybe we want to talk about this more publicly and with more people um, and get a bigger conversation going. So I'm working on an article about that right now, but they only gave me 1,500 words, and I think we need more words than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Probably. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's definitely doing it is interesting, challenging enough. um, And, uh, but you do end up talking about it a lot, gives you a lot to talk about. Um, And uh, in trying to find like kind of guidance or learn uh, more things about like approaching, opening your marriage or having multiple partners or like all of the different dynamics that come along with that. Um, you know, first of all, it's just most of our cultural touchstones are just built inside this context of monogamy. So like, there's a lot of stuff that, that doesn't really carry over. You feel like you're starting fresh with a lot of things. Um, and then the content that there is out there, um, sometimes it's kind of trying to like justify, uh, the decision because it is kind of like a controversial thing to do, or like, you know, it, it, it gets a rise out of the people. So I think sometimes people feel defensive about it. And I definitely feel defensive about it too. Um, but I think one of the best things about, the experience of being non-monogamous for me is that you learn so much. You have a lot of opportunities to learn about yourself and your relationships, um, you know, probably beyond uh, what's easy to learn when you're just in one relationship with one person, right? Or one romantic, sexual, you know, financial relationship with one primary partner. Um, And the best way to do that learning is by making mistakes, which we make a lot of. (laughs) How dare you? Yeah, sorry. (laughs) 
uh, I think whether or not they admit it, people who are trying trying to be non-monogamous uh, make a lot of mistakes and have a lot of, um, there's a lot of stumbling points um, and there's no right way to do it. So that's where we wanted to start with, with this podcast is like, let's just dig in rather than trying to tell everybody how enlightened we are. Let's just dig into the ways that we just fuck it up all the time. And um, maybe, yeah. we'll, maybe we'll learn some things. Right. And I think to that point, this idea that like the mistakes that we have made and are making in non-monogamy, it turns out are actually mistakes and hopefully lessons learned that feel really important and applicable for any intimate relationships and for relationships in general. Um, so this idea that you know we're learning about boundaries and attachment and consent and communication, all things that are important to any relationship, whatever it's, however it's organized. Yeah. And when you have a primary one, you obviously learn a ton about that too, by dating other people. And you start to see like, oh, I do the same thing. I have the same pattern with everybody that I date. So maybe it's not just Sarah's fault. Gasp. Uh, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's me, right? Um, yeah, really, it's that, that thing they say, we're like, wow, the thing all of these people have in common is me. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and also, you are a dynamic changing person who, who, you know, will probably grow through some uh, bad patterns by um, by making mistakes and uh, who will maybe develop new ones. <laughs> Should we dig in? Yeah. So we decided to start with, kind of start at the beginning, with what we both identified as an early mistake early on. Uh, tell the story, talk about it, what we learned, what we're still learning. You want to start? Set, set the scene. Okay. So uh, I think like within the first week or two um, of us uh, deciding to open our marriage, um, you know, there was a lot of conversation before that, but not as much as I think some people go through. And we kind of dove in. The first step was like, let's get on some dating apps, right? And um, that was absolutely new to me. And I think to you too, Sarah, like we'd... Oh, yeah. I made my first dating profile, online dating profile at 40. Yeah. <laughs> so we can probably talk more about that later. Um, but... Uh, Mistakes were made there too. But yeah. Yeah. It's a work in progress. Uh, someday we'll, I'm going to perfect my online dating app profile and it'll be a reflection of my true self um but yeah in the beginning um so i think i'd been i had like gone i like kind of like chatted with one person and had an on a tiny online relationship that uh then ended uh as quickly as it started with them sort of realizing what it what the implications of be me, me being married and being non-monogamous were um and so i was like kind of bummed out and you were out of town um on a writing residency, uh, which we had kind of purposefully timed for, you know, our opening up for this time when we maybe have some time apart, which maybe it was a weird decision, but I don't know. So I was in the backyard with uh, our podcast producer, Jessica, who's also our friend, and a bunch of other friends. And um, Jessica might have noticed that I was not paying attention to the conversation because I matched with somebody on Tinder. And this person like, came in like very hot uh talking you know being kind of like very flirty um but also like kind of neggy which i learned have learned is like kind of a thing that like really gets to me like people being confrontational is like it's hard for me um but it's also attractive to me um so that uh i went inside uh and that 
chat that we were having, you know, I think this was the first night that I talked to her at all, um, sort of escalated to sexting, which um, if you're not familiar with sexting. What are you wearing? I'm not wearing anything at all. Ooh, that's hot. No. Uh, <laughs> I have a, I got to jump in here with a question. Was this the first time you had ever sexted? Yeah, that's what I was just contemplating. I think that it was, no, because we had sexted before probably, um, right? Well, yeah, okay. I You're mean- You're like, I wouldn't call that sex. <laughs> <laughs> Did we do it well? Hmm. Uh, I think we had probably had little back and forth that were like sexy and exchanged photos and stuff. But I ask in part because I know that for me, the idea of like real time sexting kind of like ongoing like that was very new. New idea and new experience and for me. The dynamics are really different when it's with somebody you've never met. This person was also very mysterious in their profile. So it was just like, okay, I'm like creating a rapport for this person. And I don't know if it's like, I, I don't remember the details enough. but So I'll just remember them in the most flattering light for myself, probably. But, um, you know, it just sort of fell into this, uh, you know, sexy talk. Uh, and then in the middle of that, uh, I think you texted me from... You had arrived at the motel in Wisconsin or wherever you were going. Um, yes, maybe this is where I jump in and set the scene from my perspective. <laughs> I was in Idaho uh, and I was driving. And I think it's important to tell people this is like August 2020. So deep pandemic times, deep just like turmoil and agitation everywhere, politically, culturally, socially. I had been invited to this writer's residency uh, flying felt out of the question because of just like trying to keep things COVID safe. So I was driving by myself across many states. Um, and I think this was my first night out. I had arrived in Idaho. Let's say I was like on a double tree because I just kind of think of that's like my go-to like corporate hotel, corny corporate hotel. Um, and I was like kind of lonely, a little bit nervous. Um, Suddenly, I think it was kind of hitting me what it meant to be leaving for two weeks as we were opening up. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to text Alex. Uh, and yeah, that's where I was. Lonely in a double tree in Idaho. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and I was lonely in our bedroom in Seattle. Um, but not that lonely because I was now texting with this person uh, and also with you. And uh, <laughs> to make a long story short, I guess, um, I uh, continued to do that with the with the first person. We'll call her Jay. Um, and then I want to say, I'm going to say that, that like you sort of escalated our conversation to being a little bit sexy as well. Um, I can see you're making a note there, so probably be hearing about that later but um it's <laughs> my recollection and i just uh, wrote wrong in all caps yeah, with like right. five exclamation points good <laughs> um you can hear the sounds of scrawling on the microphone. angry scrawls uh, angry, angry scrawling uh so yeah it um it i was just basically like going back and forth sending messages to the two of you, um, and uh, not really thinking about, I guess, the, about the implications of that, but probably aware uh, of, you know, that neither, that I was like doing something or I was sort of getting away with something, but I, I don't think I, I was really sure what I hadn't 
you know, had the time to, to think about it too hard um, from a philosophical or ethical perspective. Um, so, Which is what everybody's thinking about when they're turned on and sexting. <laughs> yes. What are the philosophical what, and ethical what are implications, the implications of what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I went to the philosophy section of my <laughs> bookshelf and pulled out Immanuel Kant's. No. Um, so yeah, uh, and yada, yada, yada. Things happened, uh, came to uh, a, a completion. <laughs> if you will. If you will. <laughs> as it were. Um, and then uh, I think I told this person, Jay, I was like, oh, that was really hot. Uh, my my wife probably thought so too. Or like I revealed to her that I had been sexting with you at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and she was like, whoa, buddy, that's like, uh, you kind of crossed a line there. Um, and I wouldn't say she was nice about it, but she wasn't like, she wasn't like, like extra shamey, but she was like, you should read some books about consent and like, um, you know, she let me know that it, it, she didn't think that it was okay to have not revealed that to her. And, and I think I was pretty, it's yeah, hard for I, me sometimes to distangle my sense of shame from my, like, not understanding, you know, the implications of something or not. So it's kind of hard for me to say, like, how aware I had been of that beforehand, but it definitely made me aware of that. And I was like, oh, what did I do? Um, was that wrong? And to me in my head, I think at the time I had just been very, like, uh, you know, involved in the, caught up in the, in the situation. Yeah. So, okay. For me to ask a couple of questions here, so we can like kind of define the parameters of what happened and the mistake we might be talking about. Yes. Open for cross-examination. Right. Well, I think my first question was just, how did it feel? Do you remember how it felt when you just like had this really like fun, sexy time with somebody and then you were just like doing some flirty after talk and they were like, whoa, buddy, you done fucked up. How did that feel? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it didn't feel great. Um, I do think that I felt like surprised. Um, I didn't feel as bad as I have felt before when I did something that I was ashamed of because it, there was an element of surprise to it. So um, I think I was like a little bit more able to like be like, oh, I'm like learning. I'm having a, a learning experience right now. Um, uh, but I definitely felt like pretty um, embarrassed about it. And I, I mean, I think I mostly felt like uh, I was concerned about the implications for you and like, oh, you know, how, how do I tell Sarah this? And why didn't I tell Sarah this? Why did I tell this other person first? Yeah. So staying there for a second and again, kind of like defining the parameters of this, we both knew that each other were sexting with people. So that was not news or a surprise. Right. Um, and we both knew that we were kind of pursuing possible relationships with folks online. But what happened here, the possible mistake that we're exploring was that you were sexting with two people at the same time who didn't both know that that was happening. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting. I did some, I did a quick Google on uh, sexting two people at the same time to see if this like kind of showed up. And a lot of what came up was, um, you know, that the idea, I guess it was, it was sort of monogamous forward content, mostly like the idea that you're cheating through sexting. So yeah, that wasn't the case here that like, you, yeah, we weren't aware that each other might've been doing this, but it was like, Basically, and the way that she framed it to me as a like a violation of consent was that I didn't give her all of the information about the kind of like 
collective sex act that we were all three of us engaged in. That was kind of like going through me um, with without either of your consent, which I which I can definitely see. I mean, I've told this to other people, and some people balked at the idea that it was a, a consent issue, but it does seem like it is to me. Um, certainly, at the time, I was not like very engaged in the idea of consent at all. And when somebody said, and when she said to me, like, oh, it seems like you need to you need to read up on ongoing consent. I was like, uh oh, consent. That means I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And like, you know, I associate that word with like very extreme violations of consent, like rape. An assault. Yeah. An assault. And I hadn't really uh yet engaged with it being, you know, there being it being an ongoing concept that we can define in all sorts of realms outside of sexual ones as well. So what I love about this, just stepping back for a moment, is you and I are two weeks out the gate, first online relationship, first time sexting, and you know, off to the races. Here we're doing this, and whoops, <laughs> right away, something's happened, someone's upset, maybe a mistake was made. A mistake was made. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, were you upset? I want to ask you that because then I, I guess what happened was then she told me that and then I was like, oh, I better tell Sarah. And then I probably, I can't remember exactly how I communicated it to you, but I somehow did. What is your recollection of that? Yeah. Um, before we get into that, I have to pee. One of the thoughts I had, and I think this is a common mistake in people's impressions of non-monogamy and certainly mine getting into it, uh, is once you've opened up your relationship, well, anything goes, right? Since we're so focused on this idea of like cheating um, or adultery in monogamous relationships, and that can be anything from sexting to emotional affairs to physical affairs, right? Once that taboo has been crossed in non-monogamy, I think there's often this thought that like, all right, well, all things, all things go, right? Um, so it's kind of interesting. I like this story in part because it also points out this idea that inside non-monogamy, in a way, you almost have to be more aware of what the agreements are, what people's boundaries are, that idea of ongoing consent, Um because you're you're in this whole other container, right? You've like blown past this taboo. Um, and instead of it being a free-for-all, in fact, it's a space where suddenly you have to be really mindful and thoughtful. And I think this is a good example of that, you know? Yeah, you can't fall back to all the things you've sort of internalized um, as right and wrong or good or bad or like what the boundaries are in a in a quote unquote normal relationship. And so you have to know what a lot of them are. Um, so like, I think, and maybe that's what was in play for me a little bit is like the idea like, okay, I can do this, but I wouldn't normally tell my wife that I was sexting with somebody else, right? Um, because when we were monogamous, that would have been cheating. Yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe I just kind of defaulted to that idea. Uh, but of course in doing that, just like totally cut you out of, you know, what could have been um, you know, potentially interesting or like a turn on for you um, or just like I think that's where the consent part comes in and I do want you to, maybe you can try to define ongoing consent we've been using that term and um, I think I think what it means to me is basically that like 
you can't assume that because somebody has said yes to something or consented to something one time at one point that that is ongoing and universal, you know, between you and that person forever. And also that as a act evolves, right, they may have consented to sexting, right? But that doesn't mean that they've consented to everything that follows out of that, right? Um, including the addition of another person. For sure. So I asked you before, how did you feel? Yes, yes. And I evaded that. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to put myself back there in that Idaho double tree. Um, and I, I think it's important to say, if I'm being really honest about where I was with non-monogamy at that point, I was pretty uncomfortable with all of it. And I think I wasn't being really honest with myself or with you or with anyone else about that. Um, I knew that you and this woman were sexting and my instinct at the time was to be like, cool, great. That's awesome. I'm going to sext too. I'm going to sext strangers. I'm going to sext my husband. Sexting. It's great. Uh, I don't actually like sexting. It has <laughs> 18 months later, it's been revealed to me that this is not my favorite thing to do. Um, but there was just like this sense of, I think, an anxiety of wanting to keep up with what you were doing, um, wanting to be cool. Um, being afraid that the process of opening up was going to reveal me to be like no fun um, or a prude or a square or just really jealous or insecure. Um, so I think I was actually pretty disassociated, to use a therapist term, from what I actually felt like in that hotel room. Um, if I'm being really honest, I think I was sexting you in part because I knew you were engaging with sexting with someone else and I wanted to be like, me too, me too. Right. Um, I'm not sure that it was just like a pure expression of, you know, wanting to do something fun at the time. I think there was a lot of anxiety in it for me. Yeah. Like um, a keeping up kind of thing. Like a keeping up. Yeah. And that uh, up, I think a lot for people who are newly non, non-monogamous is it's hard to have perspective on, you know, you're not really playing the long game or thinking about like what's going to happen long term. You're just kind of like, am I able to do this? Am I, attractive to other people other than my primary partner? Am I, you know, do I have value? Um, and do I, I guess in, in your case, you're speaking to like, do I have the capacity, the sort of like emotional capacity to like be able to do it? Yeah. And I think one of the things uh, also, and this is relevant to people in any kind of relationship. And I think something a lot of us experience is actually being able to locate and understand and communicate our own boundaries and comfort levels. And this folds into discussions of consent as well. Um, and I bring that up because when you told me in the hotel room, and I wanna say you did an excellent job of telling me about it and taking accountability and apologizing. Uh, and I remember that feeling really good. I remember you saying, hey, I think I messed up. Uh, here's what happened. I'm really sorry. I'm here if you have feelings about it. Um, and I really appreciated that. But I felt scared. I felt scared in part because all of a sudden, this seemed like a really wild, unpredictable place um, and where anything could happen. 
I felt scared in part because uh, I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to keep up with that. Um, I felt scared to even like identify what made me uncomfortable about it, which honestly was jealousy, just that your attention was divided with someone else's. Um, but I didn't want to admit that because that seemed uncool. And speaking of jealousy, I do remember at the time feeling jealous that the other woman, Jay, knew that something wasn't okay with her and told it to you directly. I think that is the thing that comes through loudest and clearest out of that memory was I was like, who is this woman who had an experience with a man and she didn't like part of it and immediately told him that? I was like, what? women do that? Um, and that I had a, a whole kind of tornado of feelings around that. Um, and I remember thinking like, that's something I'm afraid I won't be able to keep up with. I don't know how to do that. I do not know how to know in a moment, an intimate, vulnerable moment with a man, what is okay and what isn't and communicate it to him. That's what I remember feeling. Yeah. That's so intense. Um, I would never have guessed that at the time, like that you were <laughs> operating on that, that level of, of depth, I guess, or like, it's a, it's a, a number of layers below what I was probably thinking about, like certainly being in touch with like the, the potential for jealousy. But I think that as I reflected on this a little bit more recently, I think the core thing that's going on for me in that situation is trying to like deliver more than I was um, and trying to be like present, you know, in this, in this situation, like in a very real hands-on way, like trying to be present with two different people at one time. So it's maybe a good, a good microcosmic example for like one of the things that's hard about having multiple relationships at once is like, you have to be open about like your availability, you know, like, logistical and emotional and on all other levels. And I was just trying to sidestep that and be like, oh, this person is like, you know, I, this is escalating with this new person. And I like, I didn't feel like I could be like, oh, I'm going to press pause on this conversation or like just drop it or whatever. It's like, I would have like lost it. And I think that's why I brought up earlier the initial that I'd had like one very short online relationship with somebody that like I thought was going somewhere and had just ended. So I was there very much in this headspace of like, am I good enough to be out here? Like, meeting people are they going to like me so then it was like suddenly this person appeared and they liked me and it escalated very quickly and i was like oh i can't hold a boundary you know that i probably knew that i should i can't like stop and pay attention to you or the flip side of that would have been to do the same thing with you and be like hey sarah good to hear from you i'm having a really hot sex chat with this this internet rando right now um can we check in later right and you're laughing but like that that probably would have been a better thing to do too. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that would have ended up if I had taken that course of action, but like that's yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. A common theme I'm hearing in this is just boundaries. Uh, this idea that if you're coming from a place where you're afraid you're not enough, whether that's me being scared that I wouldn't be enough in comparison to this other woman or to other women in general, um, or you're, and so if I were to hold a boundary, then that would be revealed and I would be rejected. It sounds like you were having a kind of similar experience 
of being afraid that you wouldn't be enough, wouldn't be attractive, and so couldn't be transparent about what was happening because you might be rejected. Yeah, for sure. And that's like a, it's a, maybe a little bit of a different way to think about boundaries. I think when you first hear that word, um, I think about things that are very internally, like either things that are externally imposed by like your primary partnership, say, or things that are like deeply held internal values that like, I just have a boundary against, you know, whatever, sexting or I don't want somebody to put their finger in my butt and that's just my boundary, right? Right. Some um, highly processed like yeah. opinion or, you know, desire or anti-desire. Yeah. Um, but in fact, it's like maybe a little bit more complicated than that in that it's, you know, knowing what you can actually deliver on and what you want to actually deliver on. Because I think I'm the kind of person, and it sounds like you are too, where I would very readily cross my boundaries just because of not feeling like confident enough to hold them or like, I'm not really, I'm not really allowed to, like, I should do this thing in service to this person because my, uh, my worth is, is tied up in their, them caring about me or how they react. And, um, so if I stop and say like, no, I'm not going to do that, um, you know, in, in whatever terms, uh, then I would like lose their esteem and their esteem is the most important thing. Yeah. Or even just an interaction running smoothly, not potentially making someone feel bad, you know, the pressure that's always on us. And I think this gets into, you asked me earlier to like expand on the idea of ongoing consent. I think we see how these ideas of boundaries and consent really uh, are systematically discouraged in the culture that we're a part of, right? So, you know, whether we're talking about hugs at work uh, or the sexting situation that you describe or, um, you know, uh, forcing a kid to kiss their aunt goodbye, we're always getting these messages that you should say yes to things even when they kind of don't feel right and you're not sure why because the overwhelming important thing here is that you're liked and that things run smoothly um and i think that was part of what was so impressive to me about that woman jay saying that to you was i was like oh oh my gosh she did something that felt really like taboo and powerful and interesting to me there uh by saying that she wasn't comfortable with something, communicating it and being confident in doing so and however, and not taking on however you might feel about it. Um, and that like, those kinds of concepts of consent and boundaries are everywhere in our lives. And I think being non-monogamous and the experiences that I've had in the past, you know, 18 months have really turned the volume up on those not just in sexual situations, but all over my life with the way that I parent, you know, we've, we've had discussions about how we won't ever make our kids hug someone if they don't want to, for example. Um, and those are conversations that we've had since we've become non-monogamous. How do you think something like this might show up for people who are in a monogamous relationship? Or how would this be relevant to folks who aren't polyamorous? Well, yeah, I think you just named some examples, but definitely, um, you know, doing things 
for your partner um, or doing things that your partner doesn't want you to do, uh, you know, that shows up all the time, right? Like, uh, I don't like your parents, but I'm going to go over to their house for, like, do I have to go over to, <laughs> that's an extreme example. And I didn't mean to say I don't like your parents. I love your parents. Um, Hi, mom and dad. Yeah. What's that? Uh, I love going over to your parents' house for Christmas dinner. Um, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, there, there are things that you will consent to do, boundaries that you will cross because you love somebody. And like, you're always getting asked to do that, right? There's always compromise. So like, where do you find the, the space between making compromises because you, you love somebody and you care about their priorities and like, okay, this is a thing that I can't do. And I guess maybe that's part of the reason why the concept of consent really resides more in, uh, you know, outside of monogamous relationships, right? And then it's kind of like when you get married or like part of the process of establishing your selves as in like a, a monogamous relationship or in a serious relationship is you kind of just like seeded a bunch of consent. I'm not saying it should be that way, but it does kind of feel that way, right? That now suddenly you're in this permanent consent container that is monogamy. Um, but there's kind of danger of breaching that agreement everywhere. Yeah. And if you're, there's danger of breaching that agreement everywhere. And it's probably breeds a lot of resentment, right? Like if I feel like I can't say no to something um, because I've, I've given up my right to, uh, then how am I going to feel about that? You know, especially if that's happening like on an ongoing basis. I think that probably characterizes a lot of relationships or shows up in probably almost every relationship. Yeah. And I was just thinking as you were talking about how we aren't taught to give time to exploring why something doesn't feel right. You know, if you use the example of not wanting to go to someone's relative's house and that immediately just turns into a fight of, well, I go to your relative's house, so now you have to come to mine, right? This is what we do. You know, we all do things we don't like. Um, we never or we rarely are encouraged to slow down and be like, why do I feel that way? And are you willing to listen to me explore why? And will you explore that with me a little bit? Um, and on the other side of that exploration, we might have some new information about what boundaries are here and what compromises we're asking for. Which when I was, I was going to get back to this idea of like, okay, we've told the story. So if we had to distill it down for each of us, what mistake did you make in this story? And what mistake did I make? What would you say? What mistake do you think you made, Alex? Yeah, I think there's the literal mistake of like how I could have acted differently, but the, the kind of feelings level mistake is much more about just not believing that it was okay for me to establish the consent, consent um, and be open about what was going on, right? Like to, to believe that I could have done that and it wouldn't have been, you know, a deal breaker for either party. Or even if it was a deal breaker, that's information it's better to have than not have. Yeah, for sure. Right. And concealing it uh, or, you know, not having that conversation is like where the, maybe where the kind of violation is or where the, where the mistake is. And so like the classic follow-up to what mistake did you make all that way back in August of 2020? Uh, what'd you learn? 
18 months later? <laughs> uh, good question. I think you should answer what mistake you made first, and then I'll answer whatever. All right, deal. Going over that story, and as we were like preparing this, I wasn't actually sure what my mistake was, um, because I'm kind of a passive party in all of this, right? Like most of the action is between you and Jay here. And I just kind of like show up. There was action, but I, I'm kind of like this uh, third person that sort of shows up and like maybe is a little bit of collateral damage in that, but I didn't make the mistake actively and I didn't react to the mistake the way she did. Right? So I was thinking about it and thinking about it and listening to you talk, I realized the mistake I made was afterward not taking time to explore how it felt. It felt bad, but you had apologized. I wanted to be cool. I couldn't really explain why I felt bad. And so I just moved on. I blew past it. Um, and I think, unfortunately, or fortunately, because mistakes lead to learning, that set the stage for a lot of experiences that I would have early on in non-monogamy and especially with men, uh, was being like, I feel kind of bad about this. I don't really know why. I'm scared to ask for the time or the like interest of my partner to find out why. So I'm just going to blow past feeling bad and just try and be cool uh, and on to the next adventure. Uh, and I think that established it inside of me, this pattern that was already there that my boundaries didn't really matter or that feeling bad was just something I needed to get over, not an indication of something like to learn and explore. And so I think that was the mistake. And I guess that like folds into what the lesson was for me too. Yeah. Yeah. And the lesson for me is probably um, that it's okay to just kind of be yourself with your limitations and capacity and the things that you can bring to a relationship and the things that you can't bring and just be comfortable with that and not feel like you have to, um, you know, be everything to everybody. Uh, and you don't have to universally, uh, please somebody or universally, you know, kind of like, uh, do, do what they want or be everything that they want or that they need. You have to be who you are. And if that's not enough, then, it's not a relationship you should be in probably, or they should, you know, there should be adjustments on both sides. Um, and I think that's something that does show up now. Like there are a lot of, in our other relationships, there's a lot of like no's, right. And between us, there's a lot of no's too. Like, you know, I know you don't love that. I'm going to go do this thing, but it doesn't seem like it's a, a deal breaker for you. And I, it's really important for me to do it or, you know, I'm just not going to be able to go out with this person, you know, more as frequently as, they want to because I have other obligations and like that has to either be okay with them or not. Maybe there's room for compromise, but it's not, you just can't do it all and that's okay. Yeah. And I feel like I wanted to just like go back and say, because I feel like I've gotten away with not actually saying what bothered me about it <laughs> throughout this whole story. Um, and maybe there's a lesson here too, related to slowing down. I was, felt bad and I was uncomfortable because this was like scary and we were moving really fast 
and we were apart and I felt like really disconnected and afraid. Um, and I wish I could have gone back and said to myself, it's okay that you feel that way. It's normal to feel that way. You can talk about that with Alex and with other people and we can slow down, adjust, or take care of these feelings. And it's not going to ruin everything or you're not going to disappoint people. Yeah. So in both cases, it's not a question of uh, a different course of action. It's like a different level of acceptance of each other and of yourself. And a, a sort of courage to be transparent with yourself and each other. So we're almost out of time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I want to ask you one more question, a uh, bigger question, a broader question before we, we go, um, which is about questions. Uh, Sarah, what is the number one question that people ask you when you tell them that you're non-monogamous? Yes, the questions about questions section of our podcast. The number one question that people ask me above all is, aren't you jealous? I would say that is the first one I get. There's like a, there's a top three. It's probably, aren't you jealous? Are you going to try and sleep with me or something in that ballpark? Uh, and how do you find the time? <laughs> that would be the top three. But I think the one that comes up the most is, aren't you jealous? Or someone, some version of that, people will say something like, oh, I couldn't do that. I would be too jealous. Um, so that's the question. And am I being asked to answer that? Mm. No, I think we should leave that as a cliffhanger. For <laughs> Is Sarah jealous? Uh, no, yeah, I think you should answer it, but we probably have a whole a whole other episode to talk about jealousy yeah. and the ways that it shows up. I mean, the short answer is yes, I am. Um, and I think this relates to this story because I was afraid to admit that. It seems like it's funny because it's this assumption in monogamous relationships and then it becomes a taboo in non-monogamous relationships. Very confusing. Happens super fast. Yeah, <laughs> that goes back to something, what we were talking about up top, that it's just like... Um, yeah, it's just like really flipping those dynamics uh, right out the gate, and like you have to you have to totally readjust to it, like a new way of of thinking about things. And yeah, the assumption that you wouldn't be, or you're only capable of, you know, practicing non-monogamy if you're enlightened enough to not be jealous, which I don't think is the case for anybody, no matter who tells you that. Like, just a feeling that shows up. And this idea, like a theme in this podcast so far, and more broadly with mistakes were made, is that mistakes and challenging feelings like jealousy teach us things if we let them, right? And so I think in the beginning, I was really trying super hard to just not feel jealous or not admit it instead of being like, oh yeah, I definitely feel jealous. And there are some interesting things to be taught by admitting that. Um, and that that's like kind of part of the exploration. It's not about not making mistakes. It's not about not feeling jealous. It's about being willing to engage with the mistakes and with those difficult feelings like jealousy and be like, Hey, what's here? You know, I want to explore. You want to explore with me. Um, I think that's, that's one of the more interesting and surprising things about non-monogamy in general, uh, is that lesson. Thank you, Sarah, for engaging and exploring with me and with our audience on this podcast, <laughs> sharing your feelings. Now I sound sarcastic, but I do mean it. 
Um, <laughs> and I look forward to engaging and exploring more with you here Thanks. and in the rest of our lives. Thank you, Alex. This was really fun and interesting and like the kinds of conversations that we're always half trying to have while we're doing dishes, but the kids are yelling at us about Jurassic Park from the other room. So it was pretty awesome to be able to like sit down and actually explore one of these mistakes or stories or ideas all the way through. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, and I promise we're going to watch Jurassic Park later. Oh, do you promise? I hope you're, I hope you're good with that. I promised to him already. Ooh, I think I'm going to have to explore what my boundaries are around Jurassic Park <laughs> before <laughs> I can say yes to that. I have a vague, bad Jurassic feeling about Park this. related thing? That's where the boundary lies? <laughs> Not sure. Across... need to explore some of these yeah. weird feelings yeah. I have before I can right. commit. Well, you set your boundary. <laughs> okay, will do. <laughs> Thanks, Al. Love you. I love you, too. Thank you so much for listening to our very first episode of Mistakes Were Made. If you have questions about non-monogamy or want to share a mistake you've made, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram. And please follow, like, and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back soon. 